0: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney, standing here with two former LDS uh, people, Hillary and Grant, if if you wondered, and uh, they come from Twin Falls, Idaho Idaho Falls. I always get them mixed up. Idaho Falls, Idaho, drove all the way down here, and um, tell us why you're here, Hillary.
1: Because we were interviewed for Bishop Earl's show, The Ex-Mormon Files.
0: Ah, which airs on Friday, every Friday night. And so uh, these brave folks came and they told their story. Now, Grant, former LDS? Yes. How many years? 39. 39 years. And uh, can you give us a taste of what people will see when they watch your interview on Bishop Earl's show?
2: Uh, You know, our our story of going through adopting five kids, Well, the first two we took through the temple uh, to get them sealed to us. And then while we were adopting the last three as a sibling group, uh, our struggles of whether we
0: should go to the temple or not because I wanted to leave the church and she wasn't ready. Wow. (laughs) And uh, so you you made the decision. Do you regret it at all?
1: Oh, absolutely not. Jesus saves.
0: Amen. All right. So praise God. Thanks, you guys, for being on. Okay. Thanks for
2: the A to Z book.
0: You're welcome. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Good to see you. Thanks, Sean. Okay. Uh, we praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of this ministry. We, may he be with you and us tonight. Why aren't you going to church? Why? Why aren't you going to church? There are plenty of good ones out there, and if you aren't happy with any of them and you live in the Utah Valley, I mean the Salt Lake Valley, uh, join us at campus. That's Sunday at 10 a.m., uh, what we call Milk. p.m. we call MEET, and uh, go to www.campus hyphens in between the letters for more information. And listen, beginning Sunday, June 3rd, about a month and a few weeks out, month and a week out, we're gonna be adding a third gathering uh, for ages 16 to 25 in the evening. So milk is at 10 a.m., meat is at 2.30, and mayhem will go from seven to nine. Uh, can it be anything but when you've got 16 to 25-year-olds there? Uh, ta- Mayhem is going to be completely different uh, than the other gatherings. So, um, you know, if you're a Christian band, uh, youth band, you know, the worship team, join us. There will be food. There will be open mic time uh, subject uh, so we can dialogue. Uh, we plan on having guest speakers to come in and give opposing view and then give the biblical view of what's being said. Should be interesting. So that's going to be Sunday, June 3rd, the first time, 7 to 9 p.m. Go to campus.com for more information. AM 820, The Truth. It's a Christian radio station here uh, in Utah. Excellent. Have great programming. We recommend you tune in. Russ East uh, does a great job of managing that station. And also on Sundays from 1 to 2, they replay Heart of the Matter. So for your listening enjoyment as you're driving in uh, to your church, uh, check it out. Lifeway Christian Bookstore in Murray. The address is 6336 South State Street. Uh, Lifeway Christian Bookstore is interesting. They are this is a nonprofit bookstore. It's a chain, but they're non-profit. And in fact, the the Utah Lifeway Christian Bookstore is actually subsidized. They run a negative every year, but Lifeway Christian Book Company keeps them here to keep uh, Christians uh, full of information and the books they want to buy. So uh, all of our books are carried there at Lifeway Christian Bookstore on uh, South State Street in Murray. Check them out. Uh, Additionally, our books are carried, uh, gratefully carried, by UTLM, uh, Sandra Tanner, her ministry, and then also Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City. A great church here in the area also carries the book. An Oasis book up in Logan also does, so uh, check them out. All right, uh, tonight's program is going to have kind of a general theme. See if you can detect what it is as we continue to move forward. I have a question here. Someone please call and give me the answer if you have one. Uh, supply it from the New Testament. In 1 John 2, verse 2, it says, and he, meaning Jesus, "...is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world." And in 1 Timothy 4.10 it reads, "For "...for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe." From this, I take it that the Lord uh, paid, He propitiated for the sin of the whole world, not only for believers. And from this, I understand that the whole world has been forgiven for sin, that the sin and punishment for sin that once separated all people from the Father has been made, and the world was reconciled to the Father by this uh, uh, selfless act of the Son. In other words, the whole world, again, has been forgiven, not saved, not saved, but the whole world has been forgiven, propitiated. So here's my question. If all sin has been paid for by Christ over 2,000 years ago, why are Christians worried about and focused on stopping sin in our world today? I understand helping believers, Christians, see the need to dying to their former self and dying to sin and getting away from sin that I get but I want someone to explain to me why any Christian church is trying to stop control or fight against sin especially knowing that Jesus has already paid the price for every bit of it think about it why isn't the true purpose and obligation of the body of Christ to share Him as the solution to sin and eternal life, to represent Him in love and truth, to let the world go the way it is going to go, but really show the world through love, the joy of having Christ in your life, and the joy of knowing you've been saved? Someone help me understand what I am missing. Call in and explain it. The reason I ask is we are witnessing firsthand, right now, in the body, men and women who are willing to coddle and build bridges with wholly false religions, not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely false religions as a means to fight against sin like abortion and homosexual marriage and euthanasia and the like. But again, if Jesus paid the price for all sin for the entire world, whether people believe in him or not, why are Christians as a whole in the church In the body, by the body, not focusing on sharing him as the solution. How about a moment from the Word? One of the major, major, major differences between Mormonism and Christianity is the respective views on God the Father. Joseph Smith, in a series of revised and reformulated accounts, ultimately claimed that when he was a 14-year-old boy, he had a vision where God the Father appeared to him in a body of flesh and bone, and standing next to him was Jesus Christ, also in a glorified body of flesh and bone. Opening up to uh, chapter 5 of John, where we left off last week, turn to verse 37. Here Jesus says something very different about the Father. It says, "...and the Father himself..." Or Jesus says, and the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Either, uh, earlier in the first chapter of John, Jesus said, John 1.18, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. It's one reason Jesus came to earth to declare in the flesh the invisible God. In Exodus 33:20, God says, No man shall see me and live. The LDS say, well, how did Moses then speak with God as a man speaketh with his friend face to face? Or they'll use other passages that say, and, they saw the ba- and, and this person saw the backside of God, and this person saw the finger, the, and there's all these different descriptions that talk about someone seeing parts of God in, in Scripture. Here's the key to understanding Scripture. It's, it's context, and it's taken as a whole. If we have a place where Jesus says, no man has seen God at any time, that is true. We have to take that as being completely true. Therefore, if we find another place where it says, and Moses speak uh, with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend, we have to assume that he is speaking uh, in, in terms of a picture. That it's, Moses was talking uh, to God just like a man speaks with a friend who's standing in front of him and communicating. It doesn't mean face to anthropomorphic face. 1 John 4.12 emphasizes the point saying, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. And speaking of himself, himself now, Jesus said in John 6.46, not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God, who is himself. He has seen the Father. So how are we supposed to understand um, the Father, the invisible God, the consuming fire by and through His Son whom He sent? Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27, Jesus says, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal Him. Speaking of Jesus, Colossians 2, 9 says, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And Colossians 1.19 says, For it pleased the Father that in Him should, meaning Jesus, should all the fullness dwell. Jesus, my friends, came and revealed the Father. All of His love, mercy, justice, holiness in flesh, because He cannot be, and He never has been seen by any man, uh, accepting our Lord. Joseph lied, and his vision was blasphemous that he made up. Mormonism is built on that blasphemy. Go directly to God and ask for eyes to see the truth. See, ask if you know Jesus Christ, if he is truly uh, your God and King, and then let Joseph go and give it all over to him who has reconciled us to the invisible uh, God. For years, we have examined the methods Mormonism uses to influence people and compared them with how God reaches men and women through the Bible. If you've watched long enough, you've uh, certainly seen or heard me use the train illustration to explain Christian epistemology, which is how Christians know the truth, uh, versus Mormon epistemology, which is how they claim to know the truth. In Christianity, the order for knowing truth, using the train example, is we first look at facts. Nobody can say Jesus is the Christ unless they've heard there's someone named Jesus who was born of a virgin. That's a fact. So you can't believe in something until you have the fact presented to you. So the, the engine of the train are the facts. And then the next car attached to the engine, the engine pulls, the fact is the faith we place on those facts. We place our faith, we say we've researched, we've read the Word, we believe this. We place our faith on those facts. And then the caboose are our feelings. Now, Christians believe in feelings, but we just don't believe that, hey, my feeling, it it supersedes what the facts say and what my faith is placed on in those facts. We just don't come up and say, you know, I think Jesus had pink hair. I really feel like that, and therefore we go by that. No, we read what the scripture tells us, the facts about it. We place our faith on it, and then we let our feelings uh, come along with us in that experience. The LDS method is how the world works and how fallen men and women discern spiritual truths. Go to any major city, San Francisco, New York City, Sugar House, and, uh, and go in, and you will find people at Hate ashbury and in Soho and in 9th uh, and 9th who say, I feel that this is true. I feel this. And I don't feel right about hearing that God would send someone to hell. And so it's all feelings. And so the Mormon epistemolo- epistemological model using the train is the engine are feelings, what you feel first. And then they place their faith on feelings... And then the caboose are facts. If they happen to be there, fine. That's okay. Whoa, we have a little fact here. We saw a footprint. Well, that's not even a fact. But we get facts that are the caboose, and it's the complete reverse of how we are to know truth. (coughs) The difference between them, the Mormons, (coughs) and other sensory-based groups, the Third Reich was a sensory-based group, by the way, uh, when they existed. Uh, the difference between them and Christians is that Christians read the manual, search out the facts, and then they um, place their faith on those facts. We recently received some revelatory bits of information out of the Mormon campaign to mesmerize the world by their swooning influence using feelings. Uh, the first one comes from a longtime Alathea supporter, Laura. Uh, it's an advertisement from CTR Clothiers. For those of you who don't know what CTR stands for, it's Choose the Right. And they have, there's a clothing, clothing company they call Choose the Right Clothing Company. And it's from an, a popular LDS song. And here's what their advertisement looks like. It says, how you look is the first message you deliver. This is for their missionaries. And in, 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 in many ways, that is true. You know, that's true, but this is just part of the package. you got to understand, I'm building a little case here. So how you look is the first message you deliver. Uh, Laura uh, points out, you know, um, I guess John the Baptist didn't deliver the right message when he was on earth. You know, Uh, when it comes to God, we have kind of a different model that is set forward, in my opinion. But yeah, some men will look at the first thing. They look on this television station, they see me, and they turn the channel. But others stop. And they, they want to see what's going on. So, in some ways, those things are true. The second message is really fascinating. Um, Mormonism owns a rather impressive collection of media companies through its for profit business arm, Deseret Management Group. These businesses include major uh, corporate flagship companies like Temple Square Hospitality, essentially runs all their attractions down there at Temple Square. Beneficial. Uh, Uh, Financial Group, which is a large, one of the world's, uh, nation's largest insurance companies. Deseret Book oversees a half dozen media businesses, including their book publishing, Deseret News, Deseret Digital Media, KSL Broadcasting Division, and a company called Bonneville International, which owns and operates radio stations in seven strategic markets around the United States. Well, on the Bonneville website, we find a clue to the Mormon methods of persuasion. They have actually named their method of being able to persuade people, heart cell. They call it the heart cell. I wanna thank Leah for forwarding this to us. This is what it says, listen. At Bonneville Communications, our ability to touch hearts and minds of audiences make us an essential resource for organizations with vital messages. For more than 30 years, our creative professionals have designed public service and direct response messages for national nonprofit organizations such as the Huntsman Cancer Center Institute, Boy Scouts of America, National Hospice Foundation, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, and the Salvation Army. Our unique strength is the ability to touch the hearts and minds of our audiences, evoking first feeling, then thought. And finally, action. We call this uniquely powerful brand of creative heart cell. Strategic emotional advertising that stimulates response. Our people not only create effective messages, we get them out effectively. We maintain an ongoing public service relationship with more than 11,000 radio and TV stations and networks and cable networks and systems in North America alone. We distribute public service and media Paid media campaigns directly from our offices in Salt Lake City. We provide all pre-production, production, production, post-production services, as well as state-of-the-art, blah, 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 blah. We are an advertising agency engaged in communications for quality life. Our people are driven by the belief that advertising can and should be a powerful, positive influence on the values and lives of people, end quote. From what we're gonna see uh, and from what we have seen around the nation, it seems heart cell uh, must work. Um, We're gonna explain why after a word of prayer. Father God, uh, we pray you will be with us tonight as we seek for truth. We pray you will be uh, with our audience wherever they are, with our staff, with our volunteers, with the things that we are going to be talking about and uh, we pray that you will bless it so that understanding will be had and uh, that you'll forgive the errors which I make. Lord, we love you and need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Whether you look back 150 years or 80 years or 15 years ago, biblical Christianity has always viewed Mormonism for what it is, a false religion. Founded on the philosophies and imaginations of man, which are almost in every way antithetical to the good news of grace. Uh, Yet today, without the LDS church having altered one single doctrine of their burgeoning religion, a large majority of the leading churches in the country have willingly turned a blind eye to their long-standing unbiblical facts and have chosen instead to build bridges with them. Part of the reason is fear. Wimpy, wimpish. Fear, fear! I believe that the Lord would say, Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you fearful if he were on the earth. Ten weeks ago in February of this year, our ministry sent a professional package to the hundred largest churches in America, not including Joel Osteen's. In the pack was a cover letter explaining the contents of the package, a DVD, short DVD portraying the history of the television ministry, a brochure detailing the national summer tour that we're embarking on this summer and a free hardback copy of our most recent and widely distributed book yet where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. We explained in this package our hope of being able to help equip the saints who are in their care through a totally free, no cost, no love offering outreach when we pass through their area to be able to equip them uh, in June. In addition to hitting these uh, highly influential churches, our ministry has over 100 individual believers living in 43 different states who we call ambassadors. We contacted them with an opportunity to take uh, these very same packages out to the smaller churches in their areas and to extend to them the same invitation to have Aletheia Ministry stop in and equip their congregates with the truth about Mormonism relative to biblical Christianity. Seventy-eight of our ambassadors asked to receive that same package, and we sent that out to them so that they could use them to go to Christian radio station churches, uh, the result. From the 100 largest churches in America, we received a single thank-you note from one senior pastor in Florida for sending him the book. That was it, from the 100. From our ambassadors, we have about four appointments set. What's going on? One of our ambassadors in Colorado, a PhD, went out to 11 of the biggest churches in that state and was coolly rejected by them all. Alan sent a copy of an email from one of the pastors who among other things said, and here's the quote, with the critical timing of the presidential election and candidates involved, we see the potential of Sean speaking causing a divide in our church and community. Translation, we care more about the political solutions to our nation than the truth. Translation, we want to ensure that come next January, anybody but the current president is in that office, even if it means electing a Mormon with which we would have nothing to do with 15 years ago and none of their doctrines have changed are these things all in the lord's time certainly Uh, our ministry we are committed to the idea that where god guides god provides where he wants us to go and so we know god is in charge of this whole deal nevertheless the lack of response completely endorses what we have long suspected the body of christ today is far more concerned generally Uh, with political solutions to our nation's ills than spiritual solutions. Let me tell you right here and now that the body is going to pay an incomprehensible price for taking this unconscionable, cowardly course. Why? Because like we said last week, Mormonism works. Having been part of the mechanism for 40 years, I can attest to you that it is the single best religious machine on the face of this earth. Diabolically driven, absolutely. But in the fallen world, they're successful. And in this day and age, it's a system that rarely fails because it appeals to all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Um, To the secular world, Mormonism's outward success will certainly serve to impress the impressionable, and to, be, uh, and to the uninformed believers out there sitting in churches, its ability to deceive will, at a greater and greater rate, I believe, draw people out of Christian pews and into their whited temple uh, uh, sepulchers. I honestly believe that we are literally witnessing the seeds, if not the very foundation, of the last days being poured. I'm not a fanatic but I cannot help my spirit wakes up thinking, this is really serious. It's at least in its preparatory stage for that man of sin to be revealed, the son of perdition. With the very Laodicean body choosing to build bridges with religious institutions that just 15 years ago uh, were wisely shunned due to the doctrine and uh, they were not embraced because they had good values. When will Christians stand for biblical truth and reject secular politics as the savior to everything? Maybe it's not too late to see the principles upon which Mormonism operates. This morning, as Mary and I were, while I was trying to burn calories and Mary was staying fit, a news flash bursted across the uh, the television screen at the gym. The great uh, conservative hopeful, the anyone but the guy with the questionable birth certificate, the faithful Mormon, chose his foreign policy spokesman, a publicly outspoken, openly gay man named Richard Grinnell, who waged a public battle with the State Department to add his longtime partner to a diplomatic registry in 2008 and who is also on the record as a great supporter of gay marriage. In the face of what appears to be the largest nations in the church, uh, placing their hope in this conservative hero, I couldn't help but laugh out loud. Not because a gay man or woman has been put in a position of power. I I don't have any comment on that. But that that there are men of God who understand the Bible, who have set the truth aside with the expectation that a Mormon is going to morally rectify the union. It's just a joke. And this is just the beginning. You see, what most people do not understand, having not been Mormon and people outside the Western United States, is the moral relativism uh, that flows through the veins of this church. They claim to be Christ's church, literal church, but they've slaughtered innocent people in the name of keeping that church going. Uh, They claim to love, but they still doctrinally endorse polygamy as an eternal principle. They say Jesus' name is in their church, but they burden people using his name. Um, this country has not seen nor experienced the relentless drive for power present in the LDS, but they will. God help us. Let's open up the phone lines, 801 8820 801 tv 20 We would show you an ad here for the national tour at this point, but no more. <laughs> um, I realize that admitting this, it's going to make uh, many of our detractors, both Christian and LDS, quite happy, but God is on the throne, and he knows exactly what he's doing, and we trust completely what he is about. So while the operators are clearing your calls, uh, we're going to, actually, the operators have cleared your calls, and I want to take the first one from Brigham City, Elsie. Elsie, you're on the air. Thank you. You got to talk loudly, Elsie.
1: I'll, I'll try. <laughs> can you hear me now?
0: I can. Uh,
1: a few weeks ago, uh, you scoffed at President Hinckley saying that we don't believe in a traditional Christ.
0: Gordon B. Hinckley, uh, when he said that, yeah.
1: What I think that he was saying is that the Christ that the LDS church believes in, and as the Bible tells us of, isn't the same as what other major denominations believe in. And I want to give you some of the differences and give you some spiritual references to bring this out. Um, the two main differences I see it is the tangible body form that Christ had and the separation of God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. In Luke 1, 35, the angel Gabriel tells Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest, or God the Eternal Father, shall overshadow thee. Therefore also the Holy Thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So there we see three separate entities described there.
0: Okay, Elsie, I, this isn't a, a program where we let people go on and on, but I've heard this first point of yours. Let me respond to it. Christians believe in three entities, separate distinct persons. They believe in the three. You have to understand that. The only difference, really, I mean there's some others, but the only major difference ontologically between how the Mormons view God or the Godhead and the Christians is the Mormons put the Father in a body of flesh and bone. That is the major difference. If the Mormons never put God in a body of flesh and bone, then God, the Father, would be a spirit, the Holy Spirit would be a spirit, and Jesus would be incarnate, and we would agree. The only thing we would say is they are one God. So in terms of what you're saying, it doesn't doesn't cross over. Secondly, I want you to know that Brigham Young, all the way to Bruce R. McConkie, deny that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, but the father who was in a body of flesh and bone actually came down and he had relations as a man would have relations with his wife to uh, inseminate Mary so that Jesus could be born. Now this is not, I'm not making this up. This is part of your doctrine, your teachings. Okay, now go ahead to your next point.
1: Well, uh, well the flesh and bones part. In Luke 24, 39... After Christ is resurrected, he tells the apostles who were fearful, they thought he was just a spirit. But he says, behold, my hands and my feet, that I myself handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me
0: have. That's right. But remember, Jesus said the Father is spirit, and we must worship him in spirit and truth. So using your very explanation, Elsie, We see that the Father does not have a body of flesh and bones. Jesus says the Father is spirit. And he says to his apostles, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So we agree that Jesus has a body of flesh and bone, but it's the Father having a body of flesh and bone where we disagree with you completely.
1: Where in the Bible does it say that he doesn't have a body of flesh
0: and bones? Well, it doesn't say he doesn't have a body of flesh and bones, but it says uh, he is a spirit. And and so we we know, and with Jesus saying a spirit does not have a body, does not have flesh and bones as you see me have, we can take then that God the Father is a spirit. Do you understand that logic? No, I can't uh,
1: imagine how a spirit could become the earthly father. Okay, father of a person.
0: Uh, okay, the Holy Spirit you read it in Luke overshadowed Mary, and there was a miraculous conception of spirit and flesh of the Savior, and, the, and we don't understand how that occurred. You're, it's true, but by virtue of that, we have the Son of God who was not carrying the original sin upon his back. He was he was free from that, unlike the rest, all the other men and women of the earth. See, I I want you to understand something, Elsie. Um, The most difficult thing for a Latter-day Saint to comprehend coming out of years of Mormonism is the makeup of God. Joseph made it very simple. Look at, they're three separate beings and they will all have separate bodies just like I have a body and Derek has a body and Rich has a body. We have separate bodies. And, And that's how the LDS see God, but we know all the way back, I mean, Uh, Islam and Judaism and Christianity all say there is one God. Just one, not three. And you're in a position, having been there, that your mind cannot grasp this. But I'll tell you something, as you get into the Word and as you ask God, reveal yourself to me. I want to know the true and living God. Reveal yourself. He'll do it and your eyes will open and you'll be able to see.
1: Well, I'll just leave it at
0: that. I know. But,
1: but you have no evidence to prove that
0: God isn't. Isn't a body of flesh and bone? Of flesh and bones. You know, I don't have any evidence that he doesn't juggle either. I mean, there's all kinds of things we don't have evidence of of what he is or isn't. It's very easy to state a negative, meaning an untruth, and call it a positive or meaning a truth. It's very easy, Elsie, for me to say, did you know Santa Claus is sitting on the North Pole right now and he's rubbing his belly and he's smoking a pipe? I can say that. And you can say, well, there's no way you can prove that. And I can say there's no way you can't prove that, you see. But Jesus said, the Father is spirit. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. And you see, Jesus said that. So there is my proof that he doesn't have a physical body.
1: Do you believe everybody has a spirit?
0: I, I believe everybody has a soul. And I believe everybody has a, every human being has a capacity for spirit. But I think we are born spiritually dead, and that's why Jesus said you must be born again. And so, Elsie, I have to ask you, have you been born again?
1: Well, I, c- I guess I was when I was
0: baptized. But that's just being dunked in water. That's just being dunked in... in and in, in, I mean, people are baptized all the time. They don't even know who Jesus is. Born again, Jesus said, look at that which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say you must be born again. I mean, we're born of water. That's one thing. That which is flesh is flesh. He says the wind blows where it wants. And that is how the Holy Spirit is going to affect someone's life. Do you know, Elsie, that when you die that you are going to go into the arms of the Lord?
1: Everybody goes to stand before Him and be judged.
0: That's not what I'm asking you, because I know you interpret Revelation 23 that way, but I'm asking you, the Scripture says, absent from the body, present from the Lord. Do you realize when you die that you are going to go to paradise and you are going to be with the Lord because you have been born again? You will go to the Lord because everybody goes
1: there, and, you, uh, and then you judged afterwards.
0: Well, this is a whole other theological discussion, I understand. So let me ask you then, Elsie, how are you saved? How is a person saved? Romans 10 says, if you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Do you believe that? I
1: believe that you are saved. If you follow the Lord's commandments.
0: But you can't follow his commandments, Elsie. You fail doing that.
1: Well, Christ gives the last bit.
0: He gives the last bit to make it up?
2: do.
0: So you climb as high as you can on the ladder, and you've done your very, very best, and then Christ reaches down and he throws you up into heaven when you, with that little bit that you've left? Is that what you're saying? Yes. I know you're saying that. And that's just a damn lie you know i mean he he reached down in the gutter and he pulled you up from your sin and it's by faith in him elsie that you are saved And faith alone now with that faith you're going to move on into your life and you're going to do many wonderful works because you love him but those works won't mean anything if you're trying to earn his favor what can you offer god who controls and has created this entire universe elsie what can you offer him when you die? What are you going to say to him that's going to make him say, okay, Elsie, you worked your hardest, you can come in? Well, I'll
1: tell you this. It says in the Bible, faith without
0: works is dead. It's certainly true. It's faith, faith without works is a dead faith. So people who have faith, saving faith, will work. That's exactly right. So, but that's not what we're asking because it's by faith you're saved, Elsie. So what are you going to offer God that says, here, I want to give you this so it shows that I'm worthy to enter into your kingdom? What will you offer him?
1: Well, I, I think that we have carried this far
0: enough. I know. I love you, Elsie. I hope you keep watching. And uh, I want you to know that you're going to be shocked when you die and you go before God in, in the capacity of being judged and you try to offer him how many times you went to Sunday school or the amount of tithing you paid, you're going to be shocked when it's all based on, did you love my son? Did you believe in my son who I sent for you, Elsie? Did you put all your faith and hope and trust in him? You're going to be shocked about how your works are going to mean zip, and it's all going to be predicated on your heart for this God who came and he went below all things and he suffered for you and I so that we can be saved. It's not too late. It's not too late, my sister. Okay?
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Bye. John 4:24 is is worship God in spirit and in truth. Uh, pray for Elsie. Uh, she's seeking. She's watching. Carol in Wyoming. Carol, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hi there. I um, just wanted to call tonight because I I actually um, would would really like to see you get into some of these uh, rituals for the dead and temple practices and ceremonies because I really, truly believe it needs to be brought out.
0: You know, uh, Carol, we've done that. If you go back to 2010, we have a show called Temples. And in that uh, program, we go through for a half an hour and we talk about what they do in those temples and what the rites are all about. And most people today who have the internet and go in there and type in, and I challenge any Latter-day Saint to go on the internet and just type in Mormon temple rituals and masonry. And you're going to see the whole thing right there, the comparisons, and where exactly Joseph stole the information from. But uh, we are in the process of covering the Book of Mormon. I had the whole show written for the Book of Mormon until I saw this thing this morning. uh, And so I I rewrote what we're doing tonight. Next week, we're going to finish that. But we'll get back to it. But you can get that stuff on the Internet right now.
3: All right. But I really would like to see you talk about it because just like Nazi Germany, you know, a lot of things were kept secret. And, you know, you find out and it moves people's hearts to, to change. And... And you know the lower level people really don't know as you know Sean you know the higher up you get the more you find out about it and yeah I think Joseph Smith wouldn't have gotten away with so much had he been exposed earlier about polygamy and you know First Amendment rights and freedom of speech and such as that
0: yeah I would agree with you there
3: all Good. right I appreciate your show God bless you we'll be praying for ya thanks
0: bye. Carol take care okay bye 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 just as a reminder Uh, People say the difference between a Mormon president and a Catholic president is none. They put in John F. Kennedy, a Mormon president, whoever she may be or he may be, uh, is the same thing. It's just religious differences. I hear hear evangelical Christians on the news. I've seen their mouths say, we're not hiring a uh, theologian-in-chief. This is like the big thing that all the Christians are saying. And, uh, you know, the difference between a Catholic and a Mormon is that the Mormon raised her hand or his hand in in office, in the temple, and they swore before God, angels, and the witnesses around them that they will give everything that they have, and it says this, that they have and that which they may have to the building up of the Mormon church. Uh, The uh, Mormon uh, who goes to the temple also has complete allegiance to the prophet of the Mormon church. So if a Mormon's sitting in the highest office of the land and there's a bill out there for, hey, should polygamy come back into practice or not? I don't know how that would happen, but it could. And the prophet makes a call and says, you know, it's time for you to step up to your temple rights. That Mormon's gonna push through to see that the Mormon way is done and not the way it should go. And, and it just starts with this stuff. This is the top of the heap, but you gotta understand their operating system. Dan in Ogden, you're on Heart of the Matter, Dan. Hi, uh, I've got a question.
4: Uh, In Genesis, uh, we read that when Jacob is uh, coming back with his wife to meet uh, meet his brother Esau, he wrestles with God. It says, I've seen the face of God. Uh, You you know, his name changes to Israel at that time. He wrestles with them all night. Yeah. How how, how do you, I'm just, you know, curious how that is be interpreted?
0: It's, it's, a, it's a good question. Uh, the, the Jews, they would often describe things. Uh, I le- I've learned to call them Hebraisms, so that when you're reading scripture, the only way you're going to be able to understand the intimacy of that wrestling match between the angel of the Lord and Jacob uh, was for them to use phraseology that we would get. And I, I, you know that's part of it. That's why they use all kinds of phraseology to describe God. And they not only use back parts and things like that, but they also say feathers. They say different things so that we can get some kind of picture of who the invisible God is. But Hebrews calls God the invisible God. Hebrews says he's a consuming fire. And we know that every time there was an interaction between the heavenly God uh, here on earth, Moses on the Mount, uh, Mount of Transfiguration, it's fire, it's fire, it's fire. So the Jews, in order to try to explain what Jacob went through or other people, Moses, they would put it into terms, but it doesn't necessarily mean the actual face or the actual feathers. Does that help?
4: Yeah, it's just like it describes him as a man and, and his face, but that, that does help. And, and in the Old Testament, which I'm reading, it, it seems that there's various scriptures of kind of these incarnations of God. Like before they go to take Jericho, the, the Israelis go to take Jericho, there's a a, uh, general for their army that appears with a sword, or or before Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed, there is, you know, and they report to him as Lord, Lord, instead of an angel of the Lord, and so what do you feel about these incarnations that seem to pop up? I
0: I think those incarnations are what uh, Christian theologians call Christophanies. Same thing as when they get thrown in the, the burning fire by Nebuchadnezzar, uh, I think. And uh, there's, th- there's three of them in there, but there was a fourth one, too. And uh, it was the angel of the Lord. It's a capital A with angel and Lord. And so these are Christophanies, the pre-incarnate Christ. And, and, and so that's what uh, most people believe. And uh, who understand the Bible and the, uh, the uh, Hebrew language and how they communicated. That's why... Just to make it clear for our audience, we don't have Christians, any Christians of any denomination, including Catholicism, any of them saying the Father has a body. I mean, these guys have studied for centuries the original languages of what's being said and none of them have said, oh, God is a man. None of them have ever said that because that's not what it means. The only group who's ever done that is Joseph Smith and Mormonism, because he twists, 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 twists every single Christian truth to be different, to be the restored gospel, and to essentially lie. But well, you can see how that could be easily... I can.
4: While, ...while reading the Old Testament. It just seems that, I mean, you know, Jacob wrestling, well, that could easily be taken out of context. Or easily, not understood.
0: easily. And that is why it says in the New Testament, You have to be born again, spiritually minded men and women can understand what the scripture is saying, but if you haven't been born again and you're just reading it in the English like it is, you can make up all kinds of stuff and that's what Joseph did. I mean, his Bible translation was not from any manuscripts, it was by him reading in the English what it said and saying, I think it means this. That's why they don't use that translation because it's so full of holes. But nevertheless, I agree with you. It is easy if you're just reading it to come up with something. So we look at context. We look at what the languages mean, Hebrew and Greek. We look at what has been said before and after in different books. We look at the book as a whole. There's all kinds of tests that we use to decipher what is actually being said. That's why we study this word. But you make a very good point. It's very easy to open up and make it say anything. For instance, I went to Pennsylvania on my Mormon mission, and the Amish, they would take passages and say like, what God has put together, let no man put asunder. So they wouldn't chop wood. So you can apply your thinking to anything. What is the context of the Bible saying? That's what we try to uh, go for.
4: Okay, I just have one other quick just Bible question. Yeah. we, We should, you know, being born again, bear fruit of good works. And and my question is, those good works are, are obviously going to comply with some of God's law, with you know at least the Ten Commandments. And where do we draw the line with the the good works, as far as you know? I know dietary law. There are many laws in the Old Testament, which are probably the will of God. I would interpret, but I mean, do we? I, I understand the dietary law, but where, where I'm going with it is, is. Where do we draw the line with which laws were, you know, really the good fruit to, to obey, if that makes
0: sense? Dan, you have great questions, my friend. Let me, let me remind you of a couple things. You're right. The law was perfect. The law is good. The law is God's, okay? But Jesus came, and he fulfilled the law perfectly because no human being on earth could do it, all right? And so he lived it for us in our place, so to speak, perfectly, and he did it out of love for us and for the Father, for the Father and for us. When he was about to go, he said a new commandment I give you. You remember this, that you love and one, one another. another. Love one another. So let me read to you. This is from John. Uh, actually, it's First John chapter 3, and this is what it says. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now listen. And this is his commandment, Dan, you ready? That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Those are the commandments for the Christian today. Believe on his son because his son fulfilled the law on our behalf and love one another and love God. On the loving God and loving one another hangs all the commandments. So let me tell you something. If you love your neighbor, you're not gonna have to worry about the, uh, the uh, commandment about committing adultery. You're not gonna go and have sex with your neighbor because that's not loving to your neighbor, to your wife, to your family, or anybody around. So you don't need those laws anymore. You don't need dietary laws. Jesus paid for all the sin of the world. You don't need to eat something special to make God pleased with you. That was under a perfection law. Now it's we are saved by his grace because he did it for you. Do you under, Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it, it, it does. Okay, so go and just open up your Bible to uh, 1 John chapter 3 and read verse 22 and 23 over and over again and see what you think that means to you. I'd love to talk to you again, my brother. Okay, thank you. God bless. God bless you. Bye. Bye. We are going, is Sam a first-time caller? Will you have him tell me? uh, Because I worry about that. We're going to John in Orange County. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, uh... Question, I, yeah. I don't get. Yeah. I understand that, let me turn the volume down here. I understand that you have
2: problems with the Mormon church. I grew up in it like you did. I have a lot of issues as well. Yeah. Um, but I don't understand what you're leading people to. Um, it's not. You don't have a really an established church. There, I don't see any authority like the Catholics would claim. I don't understand. It's like you're taking someone from a ship and telling them to jump out, but you don't have a lifeboat for them.
0: Yeah, I can I can uh, g- see how you might believe that. How many shows have you watched? A bunch of them. I called last year. last okay. Once and
2: you told me to call back, but
0: but don't you hear me constantly I'm... making the appeal for people to come to a relationship with the Lord, to be born again, to receive Him as their King? Yes, but
2: and... after you you leave, after you say you've got that confirmation and you become born again, okay, a relationship with Christ.
0: All right. Where do you go? Guess what? The Holy Spirit then. A hundred years, and all these different churches were killing each other. L- l- John, listen. If you're born again, I, I, I tell people, and listen, we're one of the first ministries at least to say, look at, just, just, just go to the Lord and be born again. Stay Mormon if you want. We don't care. We got in a lot of trouble doing that. But, and I stand by that. Just, just take it to the Lord and have him change you do whatever you want with after that. But what happens is when you're born again, John, the Holy Spirit moves into you. And guess what? He that is within you is greater than he that is in the world. You have him, you have God leading you. So when you walk into a church and you go in and they're doing stuff that you're like and the Holy Spirit says, you don't wanna come here. You'll walk out and you go to another one and you go another one and you'll find one where the Holy Spirit says, this is where you belong, John. That is the beauty of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, is that it's not in denominations and what men say you must do, you're led by the Holy Spirit to choose where you're going to best fit. That's why we have churches that are very charismatic. There's people who like a lot of charisma stuff. And then we have churches that are very solemn and they sing very quietly, because there's people who they resonate to that. But see, once the Holy Spirit moves in, you are free. You're not, you're not subject to ward boundaries. You're not subject to one pastor saying you must come here in order to be right with God. You are free in Christ to choose where to go. You might say for six months, I'm going to sit and read my Bible in the woods. And if the Holy Spirit confirms that, do it. You see, this is the freedom that comes with a relationship with Christ. And this is what we're always preaching. Now, I completely believe going to church and learning the word and worshiping is vitally important. So I'm not saying don't, but I'm saying let the Holy Spirit guide. Does that help? Not really, because <laughs> it goes back again
2: to the whole point of there has to be some organized or some type of some church with some authority or something to be to call themselves
0: Christ's church. In Mark chapter nine if,
2: if, in Mar- if you go to one church that, you know, does the snake handling, they drink the poisons and then they yeah. play with the snakes. Yeah. I mean that they're, they're Baptists. They believe the Bible. Yeah, is that the true church then, or is it no, not? A true there,
0: church? there is no true church. What you're not understanding, because you came out of Mormonism, is that Joseph asked which church is true. It's a it's a wrong premise from the get go. No church is true, but the body of Christ. It's made up of believers. So if let's just say you take California where you live, at Orange County, and there's a hundred churches, in each one there's going to be a certain number of people who are true members of Christ's church because of their faith, because of their love. The rest of them might be tares. It doesn't matter what building they're sitting in. It's the person and their relationship that make up the body. Read Ephesians and you'll discover this. This is how God makes his church. A brick and mortar building did not come to earth. God in the flesh did. And so the church is built upon him. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus and his apostles are walking along and the apostles said, Hey, Jesus, those guys are casting out devils in your name and they're not with us. Jesus says, Look, if they're not against us, they're for us. Leave them alone. It's not about an organization, John. It never has been since the ascension. It's about your relationship with him and then finding a church of believers that are practicing what the Bible teaches the best way they know how and that you feel comfortable in that relationship and I know your Mormon upbringing has taught you otherwise. The problem is
2: these different churches, you know, you have a pastor that, that uh, reads the New Testament and he gets from that that, uh, you know, that Jesus has come back on the help of comments. Okay. Or, you know, he'll give a certain specific day and time that we all have to gather and go to some state or
0: sell everything we have. All right. I know these, these are fringes, of course. Yeah, those are huge fringes, John. Uh, If you look at the major denominations, the Baptists, Lutherans, Catholics, uh, Pentecostals, Presbyterians, the core beliefs are the same. The core beliefs are the same. And if you need to go down and genuflect and bow and do stuff and do stuff, and you have the relationship with Christ, and that's what you're about, go ahead. But you've got to have that relationship with Christ. It is not there's no no there's no apostles,
2: or it doesn't have to be any type of ecclesiastical leaders or prophets or like Moses or
0: oh there are spiritual gifted men and women. There are spiritually gifted men and women that, that help build up the church and help equip the saints. Some have the gift of prophecy, but it's not new revelation, it's really a gift of teaching. There are apostles, all that means is people who are sent. They were sent to do something. So the Christians do believe in these gifts but they're not like Moses. They're not like the original 12 Jesus called, or, and then Paul. They are not like that. Jesus established those to be true witnesses of him to build his church upon. Remember, it says a foundation of apostles and prophets. Once the foundation has been poured, that's it. You don't keep adding more foundations. You don't rip up that foundation and do it again. It's been poured, and now the church is built up upon that foundation of believers, of people who believe. We are out of time, John. It's a great call. Go check out more churches. Get on your knees and try the Lord and he will change you, my brother. Listen, I had uh, other great news. Some good calls though, because some people seeking and that's what you need to do. The Lord is calling to all. He is calling to you uh, in every, I would suggest, and if I'm wrong, Lord forgive me all the time. If you're not his, he's calling. And you're either gonna hear him or you're not. So open up your ears, pray to have your eyes open, pray to have your heart and ears open for him. Listen to the call, we'll see you next week here at Heartland.